Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. morning, we have Mayor Kathy Gross with Monticello. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great to be with you this morning. Thanks. Um, well, let, let's just jump right in. This is your first term as Monticello's mayor, but um, you've been in public service for a long time. Why don't you just tell everyone, especially our, our newer listeners and newly elected officials, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I started in public service actually in public safety as a dispatcher for um, emergency ambulance, fire, and police many years ago as an EMT. Um, Later in public service, I worked for the county treasurer and eventually ran for treasurer and served my two terms. Uh, Treasures are term limited. Following that, I worked for the school corporation in the treasurer's office. So I have a, a little feel for their uh, struggles, which makes it easier to work um, as mayor, understanding a little bit more where they're coming from. Um, then, <clears throat> pardon me, I retired and that lasted about nine days because I had also run for city council and uh, been elected. And I thought, well, I'll go ahead and retire from my position at the school corporation. And uh, when that happened, Mayor Houston was just taking over in his first term and um, realized that the city, like many communities around the state, it wasn't just Monticello, had some serious uh, catch up to do with the Americans with Disabilities Act and Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. And he tapped me as a city councilor to help get the city up and going with that. And, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for, because we discussed um, not only how we want to uh, bring Monticello where it should be to be, but also to be a leader and provide information for other communities that were facing the same thing we are. So I was fortunate to have his support and the support of the council and they created a salaried part-time position that made that possible. From there, you know, we worked with AIM to establish the ADA and Title VI Coordinators Association and that just brings me full circle to the election last fall. And um, I must be honest, I'm so grateful for all of the experience I've had because frankly, from January 1 to today, as the new mayor has been somewhat overwhelming. (laughs) Well, that's that's great. You're, well, I will tell you, you talked about being a leader, um, the city being a leader in the ADA Title IX Um, movement and your peers also have talked to us saying you're a leader in fighting the COVID-19 pandemic in Monticello, particularly in terms of your employees and ensuring that your employees are safe at work and those that haven't been working are returning to work. 
safely. So that's one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today. Um, how did you develop a, a plan for COVID-19 testing for your employees? Let's start there. Okay, well, early on, um, even before um, the Governor Holcomb's uh, declaration of emergency and executive orders, um, my public safety department heads, our um, fire and ambulance and police met because we saw what was happening and thought it's not going to hurt to sit down and just start making some notes. What do we need to do should this become a tipping point here locally? Um, so that's where I need to really jump in and say it's it's my department heads and I, I hope other mayors uh, have the same advantage that I do. They do the heavy lifting here. They are the experts for their departments and I have relied heavily on them. So having that level of trust and confidence has been vital and key to um, not only putting procedures in place, but to sharing the information with their teams. Because for me to come out with a, by golly, you're gonna, versus, hey, we've been working with the mayor and we want to protect you. That comes out very differently in the wash. So um, we began by meeting with uh, my public safety, uh, primarily uh, fire and police. And we knew that the first thing we needed to do should this happen would be to protect our first responders because Monticello, like many other communities, we have limited uh, first responding uh, capabilities. So the worst case scenario um, would have been for us because we provide emergency medical service for almost all of White County and a portion of Carroll County. So if we had one exposed um, paramedic on a shift that brought that back to our fire station, we are now all under emergency protocol and quarantine, and we are down by a full one third. And right. that limits every response we have. So we could ill afford to have that happen. So mm -hmm. what we did um, in partnership um, and working with our county health department and uh, taking guidance from the CDC and um, OSHA, we revised response protocols for our first responders. In other words, we're probably not going to go as frequently to uh, help grandma up, okay? We might try and find alternatives to if someone's fallen, mm -hmm. um, that try to engage other options there. So we revised those protocols. We were restricted um, on station personnel, making sure that people, you know, the fire department tends to be a happening place. People like to go there um, and we want them there normally, but we, we did what we knew we had to restrict that. Um, we also reached out to our other community partners through county health, sheriff, um, and for small town first responders that have basic life uh, support, state police and 911 uh, to purchase and provide PPE. 
Um, and that was critical in those early stages because we, each of us were going out in the same networks, quote unquote, bidding, if you will, on the same goods. And that was just rising, raising the price for all of us. So mm -hmm. when we, uh, and then it was interesting to see that the state of Indiana then kind of did that a week or so after we had started that. So um, we were happy to do that. But additionally, um, you know, we need to be HIPAA um, cognizant. However, you know, there are under emergency declarations, a lot of those requirements are waived, but we still want to make sure we're cognizant of, of in, individual health rights. So, and I give all credit to our emergency 911 who are just are actually housed at our county jail. But as we started getting notifications that we had uh, confirmed positives or presumptive positives, they created a layer on our um, dispatch system, on our GIS, that would tell us this could be a hotspot. So while we, everyone wore PPE on every call, mm -hmm. if we knew it was a hotspot, we took that next step. And the best way I can describe that is we knew we were not going to have enough N95 masks for everyone. So we always wore PPE. We, I'm speaking my public safety guys and gals, they, they wore the mask and the gloves and the gowns always. But if they were responding to a hotspot, they wore that N95 and the shield and the booties and took additional precautions. And that was a huge first step. Now, I don't want to jinx anything here, but um, so far, none of our first responders have been uh, confirmed COVID-19, none. And we have, um, let's see, where are we now? 189 confirmed cases and five deaths. And many of those have been responded to by our personnel. So I we're, we're making... I think we're making a difference in that regard. That um, sure sounds like it. Um, Monticello is a member of the AIM Medical Trust. Yes. Um, how do you? How is the how is the trust partnered with the city uh, during this crisis in particular? Sure, um, and that was my my uh, next note, if you will. So our first step was to protect our first responders, but the next. Um, was to protect our per, our essential personnel that still had to be coming in. And so we, you know, we kind of evaluate things and this is the problem. What solutions can we come up with? Um, so in regards to our essential personnel, our problem was how can we provide proactive COVID-19 testing for our first responders and essential personnel? And then expand that as the rest of our employees start coming back to work in our return to work plan. And part of the barriers we had were that we knew that testing and test kits were going to be limited and unavailable in our part of Indiana. And, you know, it's not unique to Monticello. It's just rural health in general. Right. Um, right. But we also knew that our local health department was going to be overwhelmed. 
Um, and of course, we need to look at the cost. We always have to look at the bottom line. I mean, I, I, it sounds bad, but it's the truth. So early on, um, I uh, had read some information from Aaron Brainerd in uh, Carmel about what he was doing with an outside lab. And I knew our local health department and our local hospital and um, primary care providers did not have enough test kits to make things possible. So that's when I reached down to Amy at uh, the medical trust and said, this is our situation. We, we want to be proactive and make sure we have the testing kits available, but it's not, we're not going to be able to go the normal route. You think you may have been exposed or you're showing a symptom, go mm -hmm. see your primary care provider, they will order the test. Um, because we're talking about first responders. Right. That can take four, five, seven days, and we need to have a quick turnaround because if they've been exposed, then they cannot be on duty until we know that they are not. So working with Amy and the AIM Medical Trust, she, she and they were very responsive so that we were able to create a three-pronged approach to how we could pay for these if we had to. So let's talk about your community a little bit. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've noticed happening in the community? How are your citizens coping with such an incredibly difficult time? For the most part, uh, people are uh, acting responsibly, following the guidelines, but in every community, you're going to have those naysayers. Now, right. I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, it, it got kind of dicey here for a little while because myself in concert with the county commissioners, um, when Cass County uh, had their major surge with Tyson Foods, what we saw was on that Monday when they went into their lockdown, if you will, by three o'clock that afternoon, our parking lots at our Walmart, Rural King, Kroger were, were full with Cass County plates because people were coming here without wearing masks. So mm -hmm. we, we met with our local health and the county commissioners and I in concert um, mimicked some of the restrictions that Cass County had put into place mm -hmm. to protect our people here. That, that was not welcomed in mm -hmm. some circles. But that being said, we, we not only did it for a week, but because our numbers were increasing exponentially, we extended it for a second week. Mm -hmm. And after the second week, we started to see our numbers. They're not declining, but they've leveled off. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow we will have been out of those restrictions and fully following the guidance of Governor Holcomb's um, Back on Track initiative. And we seem to be stabilizing. So what we believe is the efforts we took in concert with county and uh, health and commissioners um, helped flatten that curve and made a difference. This is completely switching gears, but as you mentioned, you know, when you, you came into office and things really took a turn from what you were expecting to face in the early days. You had, you ran for office, you had a plan for things you wanted to do and you were hit by a pandemic and the closure of a major 
employer and tourist attraction for the city in Indiana Beach. Um, talk about a little bit about what it was like those those early weeks in office and then um, where we are now, where you are now with the beach. I don't believe in coincidences. So it was one of our, it was our first Chamber of Commerce luncheon following the state of the city in January. So this was our February Chamber of Commerce and our Monticello Redevelopment Commission have, have been working for a couple of years on a river walk for downtown Monticello. River walks create all kinds of opportunities and that's a whole nother podcast where, where other communities could join on that. But that being said, um, that was the topic of discussion at the chamber luncheon. So it was enthusiastic, it was engaging, it was forward looking, yay. I literally walked my car and my phone started blowing up because Indiana Beach had just announced their closure. They didn't include the county, they didn't include the city. It was, it was like a tsunami of, of bad news. That being said, Indiana Beach is actually outside the limit mm -hmm. of the city, but we have been and will continue to be strong partners. We synergize together. We work together um, with the county and our uh, tourism. Um, so Indiana Beach um, announced their closure. Uh, we hurriedly tried to meet with their representatives um, me at the city as well as economic development and county commissioners. Here's another time to say that the relationships that are developed between county and city are so crucial because when this happened, even though Monticello really did, didn't have a financial obligation to Indiana Beach, um, the county saw that we are all connected and brought us in as a partner to figure out how we were going to move forward. And it was pretty dim and discouraging there for a while, even though I was, I tried to be the glass half full gal. So uh, every chance I had uh, uh, through media talked about um, how Indiana Beach is part of our past, our legacy. We we hope they'll be part of our future, but we do have more we can offer trying to thread that mm -hmm. needle. So that being said, as any city mayor knows, we get blamed for things we're not responsible for. And you hope that you will get the credit for things you do. Um, so I, I took a lot of heat. What was the city gonna do? all that good stuff. Um, but I enjoyed uh, speaking with the community and speaking with the media and always being able to, to try and promote the good things. And then in the middle of the pandemic, when everything is at its darkest, um, we have interested buyers. And once again, the county included the city and said, come sit at the table, come listen share your insights and thoughts. And uh, with the efforts of the county and our uh, city attorney, George Loy, and um, some, I think um, uh, Rick Hall with Barnes and Thornburg, uh, they developed a plan and through economic development and county commissioners have been able to provide a forgivable loan program for the buyer 
um, the Stapleton family of $3 million. Of course, there, there are, there are um, protections for both him and the county. So it's not a blank check. There are things that have mm -hmm. to be done, but it shows the commitment of our, um, of our commissioners and, and everyone to make sure that Indiana Beach has its best opportunity to succeed moving forward. And I'm happy to say on June the 26th, uh, they're going to have a VIP opening. And if that's something you would like to do, you can visit their website. You can purchase a brick and have something put on it about you, your family, and they're paving their way to their 100th anniversary. And um, that also will get you two tickets to the VIP event. So a shameless plug for Indiana Beach on this wonderful podcast. We really appreciate you joining us on the podcast and hopefully we'll catch back up with you soon. Thanks as always.